Hey, fellow Mathers, before we get into this episode, we want to share with you how you can get access to free content, professional learning that will keep your students engaged and doing the math that matters. Get ready to go to this link, mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. That's right. Registration is open for the free Math is Figure Outable challenge that's starting May 15th and runs to the 17th at 7 p.m. Central. We're going to have three nights jam-packed with learning and routines that you can take straight to your classroom. In these challenges, we have a great time. We do some math, talk about classroom experiences, give away super cool bonuses and prizes. You won't just walk away with routines that are naturally engaging and encourage your students to think mathematically. You'll also have a chance to win over 6 k worth in prizes, including a few virtual PD sessions for your school. I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host, Kim, and special guest, Jenna Labe. You can register at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Now on to the show. Hey, fellow mathematicians. Welcome to the podcast where math is figureoutable. I'm Pam. And I'm Kim. And we're here to suggest that mathematizing is not about mimicking or rote memorizing, but it's about thinking and reasoning, about creating and using mental mathematical relationships, empowering teachers and students. We answer the question, if not algorithms, then what? In today's episode, we're going to gear the conversation towards teachers and parents of younger learners and talk all about counting. So... We're going to call this episode The Language of Counting. And you might find it interesting that the first thing we're going to talk about is language. If we're talking about math and counting, we're going to talk about language. But we are because our language influences how kids learn to count and learn the counting sequence. Um, in a huge way, the num- the names, uh, the, the words that we have given to numbers um, can either sort of clear up or make more clear the counting sequence, or it can actually sort of muddy the counting sequence. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, when kids are to count, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, then 11, 11, where'd that name come from? 11, because really, if you look at the way we write 11, 11 means a 10 and a one, right? There's that one 10 and that one, one. And you might be like, well, Pam, of course, that's what 11 means. Well, interestingly enough, in the language uh, of English, we have made up a word, 11. Um, In several languages, that's uh, a new word when we get to 11. However, in many Asian languages, the the word for 11 isn't a new word at all. It isn't a made-up word. It's actually the word 10 and the word one put together. So if I was speaking many Asian languages and uh, I start to count, there's a tone or a word for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and that has its own tone. And then when I get to 11, I actually say 10, one. And when I get to 12, I actually say 10, two, like that. Those are the words, the names for those sort of teen numbers. And I'm actually not even in the teens yet. When I get to 13, it's not, well, 13, that actually sounds kind of like it, right? It almost sounds like three teen. We almost kind of then follow the pattern. You're laughing at me, three teen. Well, 14. I mean, it kind of like that, that makes sense in the pattern, right? In fact, we notice that when kids get to 14, they're kind of confident again, 14, but then it doesn't sound like it should again, 15. Shouldn't it be 15? It should, right? If it made sense, you're laughing, you're like 15. Well, 16, 
17? Those sound kind of like they should, right? And and even if we were to help students a little bit better, it would even be better if it was 10-1, 10-2, or even teen one, teen two, teen three. But but we could actually name the numbers something that they mean. And and my point is that there are languages out there that um, instead of sort of having these new words or words that kind of sound like they what the numbers mean, they actually are the, what the number means. 10-1, And so that can be helpful to kids when they're um, learning how to count. So in our language, since we've kind of made up these words for whatever reason, We have to tell kids, or at least I'm going to suggest, to help kids learn to count. Let's be clear with them what 11 means. Let's be clear with them what 12 means, what 13 means. That will help them uh, feel the pattern. If they've already got the pattern of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 down, then when we say, well, that's just 10, 1, 10, and 2, 10, 3, 10, and 4, then they're like, oh, yeah, well, I could do that pattern. Oh, and we call it... 11. So 10, 1, this number means 10 and 1, but we call it 11. This number right here, this means 10 and 4, but we call it 14. This number here, it means 10 and 7, and we call it 17. Oh, look, there's the 7 right in there, 17. So one of the things that we're going to suggest in today's podcast is to help students learn to count, help them understand what the numbers actually mean, not just what they're called. So the number means 10 and 3, and we call it 13. Yeah. The first time I ever heard you say this, it was mind blowing because I didn't teach kinder in first grade. So, you know, for me, it was more about these numbers just are named what they're named. Um, And I remember hearing you kind of give this spiel about teen numbers and it just rocked my world a little bit. And at the time I had a really young learner who was starting starting to sing song count, right? Just, he had heard the sequence of numbers And I obsessively came behind him when he was counting and I would say, Hey, let's count numbers together or let's, let's count the things. And when he got past 10 and he would say 11, I would whisper behind him 10 and one. And he would say 12 and I would say 10 and two, he would say 13 and I would say 10 and three. And I felt like it was my job at the time to provide some meaning to what that word he was saying meant. And I was brilliant kind of about it. Totally, you were telling me about that, and I was like, "Yes, that's that's, that's amazing." Yeah. Because because now Cooper has has kind of heard the song of counting. He's able to say the next word uh, for the for the number. But you're providing meaning, kind of on top of that, and it yeah. just um, solidifies for him that he's got the counting sequence right and what those words mean, what the numbers actually mean as it gets into the teens. That was brilliant. When you told me about that, I was like, yes, we need to get all parents and teachers of younger students to do that kind of thing. So well done. Well, then in our number system, as kids are counting, then they get to the decades or the multiples of 10, right? So 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, like 20. What does 20 mean? Two ten. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And if you go look at those Asian languages, the, the word for 20 is 210. And, and literally, it's what it means. 20 is two tens. And you might be like, well, yeah, okay, that's what, two, that's what 20 means. Well, so I, I, sometimes I joke with teachers. So really, we should have called 20 2D, right? And you're like, <laughs> what 2D? 3D, right? 30 should be 3D. If, 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 and you're laughing. You're like, really, 2D, 3D? Well, 40? I mean, 40 sounds like it should, right? Then shouldn't it be a 5D? <laughs> I know that sounds goofy, but, but then it would at least sort of follow the pattern. And right. as you laugh, 5D, well, 60, 70, 
80. Why is it that we've had, we have some of these multiples of 10, these decades, why do some of them sound more like they should and others don't? I don't know. I'm not a linguist. I'm sure that there's some fine history about why the, the words sound the way they do, but because it's just funky history that, that turned it into that, we can help bring meaning to it. So as kids are talking about 20, we can say, hey, that actually means two tens. We can kind of do what Kim did and kind of come behind kids kind of over their shoulder and kind of say, oh yeah, 20, that's like two tens. And so what does 21 mean? Well, it's like two tens and one. What does 22 mean? It's like two ten two. You're laughing. You're like, really, Pam? Well, y'all in Asian languages, how, how do you say 25? You say two ten five. That's, that's the way they name the numbers. That gives them a real advantage as they are learning the counting sequence. They don't get near as confused. All teachers of younger kids and many parents will be able to say, yeah, one of the places kids get stuck is they're counting higher, right? We, we know we want kids to be able to count to 100. That's a landmark we want kids to get to. Kids will do things like 36, 37, 38, 39. And then they kind of look at you with this, like, uh, mm-hmm. what comes next? I don't know. You know, yeah. <laughs> and the parents like, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. 39. And then often we'll either supply it or the kids will guess or whatever. Um, instead, we could say to them, well, what comes after 310, 9? If you've got three tens and nine, what should be next? Oh, that's obvious. It's four tens. Because they already have the three, four sequence, they're going to have the three, ten, four, ten sequence. What they don't have is sort of these memorized kind of made up words that we made up 40. I mean, at least 40 sort of sounds like it. Maybe I should have chosen 49 because then the kid might say 5D, right? Because then it makes sense yeah. to follow the pattern. So we can, when they say 5D, parents, teachers don't say to them, no, wrong. No, it's 50. No, in that case, you go, yeah, nicely done. And we call that 50. That 510 number, yeah, you guessed it right. It's like 5D. Good job. You're better than our linguist. But we call that 50. But it, you're right. It's 510. It's 5, It's 5D. So we want to help kids understand the meaning of the numbers and what we call them. I'm not suggesting that your kid's going to go to school and the, as the, when the teacher says to them, hey, I want you to count, and the, and the kid goes, uh, literally gives just the, the meaning of the numbers. Of, co- of course, I'm okay that the kid knows, the student knows what the names we have given them in English are. I want. I, uh, am I saying that well, Kim? Help me out here. Yeah, I feel like, you know, to give kids meaning for the numbers first and then supplying the name that we call it afterwards is a little bit better and easier, or a lot better and easier than supplying the kind of fake name that we give it, the social name that we've decided it is. And then try to come back with the meaning afterwards. And so at least let's bring meaning. Like right. let's make sure that the meaning's there. Maybe maybe you're uh, you're teaching them first. Then sh- then let's do the meaning first, and then tack on that social term. Yeah. Um, but if your kids already heard it, whatever, then at least bring the meaning into the situation. Cool. You said um, advantage earlier, and I feel like I've heard you say something about um, advantages for solving multi-digit addition problems as well. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first strategies that we expect students to develop as they are adding multi-digit numbers is what we call split by place value. So let's talk about that for just a second. If I have a a problem like 27 plus 38, and if we haven't forced the traditional algorithm on kids, like we're recommending, do not force the traditional algorithm on students. If we haven't, then students will think about 27 and 38 and they'll think, okay, how do I add those together? And as they're thinking about it, uh, typically the first strategy kids will develop is they'll split those numbers by place value. So 27 and 38, they'll think about 20 and seven and 30 and eight, and they'll bring that 20 and 30 together to make 50. 
and they'll bring the seven and the eight together to make 15. And then they'll think about the 50 and the 15 and they'll add those together to get 65. So they sort of split the 27 into its place value parts, 20 and seven, and they split the 38 into its place value parts, 30 and eight. They pull the place values together, 20 and 30, seven and eight, and then they pull it all together in the end. We call that splitting by place value. Research has shown that um, most kids will develop that kind of on their own if we haven't forced the traditional algorithm. It's a great strategy. But interestingly enough, can you imagine if we were actually calling those numbers what they mean? If we, if we, had, if we were in an Asian language and 27 was 2107, and then we were going to add 3108. So just think about that problem for a second. 2107 plus 3108. It almost begs splitting by place value. 2107 plus 3108. I'm thinking about two tens and three tens. Well, that's just five tens. And then you can add the seven and eight together. I mean, it, 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 those students are just like almost can't help themselves yeah. just thinking about how many tens there are and then adding the ones together and then pulling them together. It's a very natural um, strategy for students to, to use, especially if the language kind of helps them understand what the numbers actually mean. So, you know, sometimes I look at kind of the test results of uh, the USA versus some of the Asian language uh, countries. And of course, those younger students are doing better earlier because their language is naturally helping them sort of develop that strategy. Well, we can do the same thing. We can help students understand what the words actually, uh, excuse me, what the numbers actually mean, what the words translate into, so that they're actually thinking about 27 as two tens and seven, and they're thinking about 38 as three tens and eights. And so that splitting by place value strategy will become all the more natural for um, our students as well, because they're understanding the numbers. So um, all this talk about counting, I want to take it back to kinder for just a second. Um, Mm -hmm. So it reminds me of a question in our Journey Facebook group from our friend Holly, and she was working with kinder teachers and students. And I think her question was something like, should we always use the same finger patterns when talking about a specific number? Like when we um, show the number three, should it always be uh, the three middle fingers with your thumb and pinky down? And I think, I think you uh, answered her something specific. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have an opinion on this. So if you think about showing the number three, often in the States, I see what you just said, where you put the thumb and the pinky down and the three middle fingers are sort of up and that's a three. Um, I can't tell you the number of kids that I've um, messed, around, messed around with. Can I say that? I can't tell you the number of kids that I've sort of experimented with when I'm in the grocery store and they're in the cart in front of me or I'm at church and the kids are hanging around or where, wherever I'm around, my own personal kids, I'm at schools where I'll, I'll show to a, a young learner, I'll show them three, but I'll do it in a non-traditional way. So maybe I'll put my thumb up and then and my first two fingers and my uh, fourth and fifth finger are down and I'll say, how many? And they'll look at me like, I don't know, or they'll have to count them when they can sort of see the, that kind of more traditional where the first three fingers are up or the middle three fingers are up where they can just instantly say three. Um, and so then I'll, I'll put just my thumb and my pinky and one of the other fingers up and I'll say how many, and then the kids are like a little stymied and the parents kind of look at me like, why are you doing it wrong? Y'all, we want to have different iterations for fingers. We want to have kids to, to be able to recognize the three-ness of a number that they can see three. I mean, anyway, like I might want to put my thumb up on my left hand and two random fingers on my right hand and still have that be three. It's not about kids memorizing a specific way your fingers are are, are up. In fact, I think the, um, the resource that the question was being asked about was, <clears throat> was suggesting 
that you should always have um, your fingers up in a certain way so that it kind of represents an open number line. That If you're going to represent three, then it should be your thumb and first two fingers because those are kind of together on the number line. And if you're going to do four, then it would be your thumb and your first three fingers and your pinky would be down. And then and, and then that way you're kind of always representing it as, as sort of as it would look on a, on a number line. I mean, sometimes that's okay, but I don't want to get kids locked into that either. I don't want it to be a, a rote memory about what your fingers look like. I want kids thinking about three-ness. What does it mean to have three or what does it mean to have two fingers? I can have two fingers, one on each hand, and I still want kids to know that that's two. It doesn't, they, they don't have to be next to each other because they're next to each other on the number line. I think that's artificial. I think so- it's, it's, Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say it's not a number um, question or thought, but it reminds me of we show a picture of a triangle and kids think that one specific look of a triangle Uh, is a triangle and the other ones are not triangles. So giving them a variety of looks as well to help broaden and deepen their understanding. Yeah, totally. We give him that equilateral green triangle. Any teacher out there is going to recognize the green pattern block mm-hmm. that, that all sides are equal triangle. And then when we kids, show kids a right triangle where it has a right angle in it, kids will call it a wrong triangle mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's not, it doesn't look like that sort of stereotypical yeah, equilateral where all the sides are equal triangles. So yeah, we want to show them right triangles and and isosceles triangles and, and uh, scaling triangles. We want to have all sorts of different examples of triangles. Yeah to be triangle because they are, um, we don't want to have just only one look. This is an excellent connection, um, Kim. So we also have, um, uh, a, a task that we like to do with students that we call finger flash, where we'll say to students, how many, how many do you see? And we'll flash a, f- a number of fingers at them. Um, and when we do that, we want students to like literally th- count the number of fingers or recognize the number of fingers that they can subitize the, the number that they're seeing. And so um, when we do that finger flash, again, we, we're not giving the same look for that number every time. Right. One of the interesting places that this has actually come into uh, question, or we've had a, a, an interesting conversation about, are my ASL friends. So I have several friends whose kids are deaf. Um, I have a friend whose husband's deaf. And uh, particularly the friend whose hus- husband's deaf uh, kind of got after me a little bit. She's like, no, no, no. You must show them the ASL version of the numbers. I'm going to disagree with that a little bit. I think when they're tiny and I get it, I get it. She wants her kids to recognize the ASL symbols. And I think that's really important. I think uh, in order for them to speak to their dad, it's hugely important that they can communicate with their father who's deaf, that they're learning ASL as young kids. And I love it. I love the fact that they're teaching their kids and um, it's great family. But for number, I need kids to recognize various iterations of threeness. Um, so she and I came to an agreement that when we do fingers, we're going to do the ASL sign. When we do any other way that the kids are going to recognize three, we're going to have all sorts of different um, variations and, and uh, permutations of, of the way three could look. Uh, so it's kind of funny that it kind of came up in the American Sign Language uh, venue. So by the way, uh, when kids are recognizing the numbers, when we sort of flash a finger at them um, and we a- we ask them the number, if kids then count, then that's an example of kids needing to count to find um, the total. If they don't say the end number, that's uh, that means they don't quite have cardinality. Yeah, uh, this let me, kind of let me can- explain that for just a second. So Thank you. Take, take it. Go. Cardinality is a landmark, right? It's something that we want uh, young learners to develop. Um, And it just means that knowing the last number in the count represents the set. So if they don't own cardinality, they think um, how many means to sing that song of counting. So they count 
and they say each of the counting words. And so we often test really young learners and we'll say, how many? And if they go one, two, three, four, five, six, and you respond with, so how many? If they recount and say one, two, three, four, five, six, they don't have cardinality. But if they say one, two, three, four, five, six, and you say how many, and they say six, they have it. And you help them, right? So if they're singing the song and you ask the question, how many, and they don't, you can supply, oh, so you have six. Yeah, that's totally where the kids get that when I ask them how many, their job isn't uh, to sing the song of counting. Right. Their job is to tell me how many, like to give me that last counting word yeah. that represents the total number of the set. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So uh my kids laugh at me because often in the grocery store, when there's a kid in front of me, though, honestly, with the mask, it's a little harder, mm-hmm. but when there's a kid in front of me in the grocery cart, I'll, I'll just, you know, th- hold up three fingers and I'll say, how many? And when the kid goes one, two, three, then I'll say, so how many? And the parent looks at me like, what are you? And I'm like, don't worry. I'm teaching a kid cardinality. And the kid <laughs> goes one, two, three. I'm like, so how many? And the kid goes one, two, three, you know, like the second or third time then I just go, oh, so there's three. And then I'll kind of wink at the parent and go, your kid's learning cardinality. And then we sort of move on. So that's a, a total way that you can help kids learn the last number in the counting sequence represents the total in the count. So y'all, language is helpful and necessary and it can get in the way of kids learning to count. So if we're purposeful in our use of language, we can help students develop important ideas in counting that go beyond just singing the song of the counting words. So if you're interested to learn more math and you want to help students develop as mathematicians, then the Math is Figure Outable podcast is for you because math is figure outable. Thank you for listening and making math more figure outable. To learn even more, make sure you register for our free challenge at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Central. Math teaching, math teaching, go register now. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figure outable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.